Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Well, welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Here we are with Bob Pulver as our guest. He is the principal at Cognitive Path. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Doing great, Neil. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. It's uh, We're recording this on a Friday, which is always nice, trying to live and stretch into the weekend. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're excited to have you here. You got a lot of cool experiences we're going to unpack and get going on stuff. But first, let's confirm you are a real human. Your capture question today, Bob, is if you're alone in your home and there's a fire, you get to grab one thing on your way out. What is it? Just one thing, huh? Um, I guess it's got to be my phone. <laughs> can't Can't go anywhere without my phone. So you can call the fire department on your way out, I guess, right? I can do whatever I need to do. That's my, uh, you know, little pocket-sized computer. Yeah. It's weird, though. I feel like there was a time when, like, your phone was, like, the key treasure. And now, for me, it's just become a phone. Like, I don't care which one it is. Like, I can get all my data no matter which phone it is. Like, just give me one. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Are you very attached to your particular one? I'm down I'm down to one phone. I recently uh, converted after you know, um, over a decade of Android phones, I, I did become an Apple, you know, convert. It has simplified my life because my entire immediate and, uh, extended family are all on iPhones. So FaceTime <laughs> has become uh, probably my most uh, used, uh, new app, yeah. uh, which, which is great. And I got to use, you know, clubhouse for the last, you know, five months, um, which has actually been really good as well. And that was actually like, I didn't use any iPhones, before and then we wanted to get on clubhouse so it was like all right well that's the only way to do it but now i use iphone i can't say it's like amazingly better but it is like does simplify parts of life for sure i did use um when i was at nbc universal i did use two phones for the first time which i wasn't sure i was going to want to do but the fact is all the cyber experts that i talked to were all carrying two phones and there's got to be a reason for that (laughs) and um i didn't want the company to have access to remotely wipe my phone for some yeah. uh, unknown reason. And so, uh, so yeah, so I didn't mind having both. And I got to always, you know, I was always familiar with iOS uh, because I use it for work. So uh, yep. it was an easy, easy transition. There you go. I don't know, like in terms of my answer to what would I grab if I'm alone? It's mostly like all this stuff. Like I would, I would <laughs> love to have most of these, at least I would own a picture of all the books that are here. So I would know how to replace them. I got a couple little trinkets that are like from, my grandparents and things. I haven't ever told okay. anybody, but I got a piece of wood in the background there. That's something my great grandfather whittled from like one piece of wood. So it's like a wood chain. That's a great little, uh, little piece there. That's awesome. I have actually, that's funny. I have some stuff from my uh, grandparents uh, as well. I have some old like whiskey jugs and stuff like that. I'm a big, you know, whiskey guy. So this is like, yeah. you know, I don't even know how old that is, but yeah, I got a couple random things like that as well. Yeah. That stuff's hard to replace. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. So you're approved, Bob. You, you brought up the whiskey bottle, so that, that's right. the real thing. Like the <laughs> phone was like, I'm not sure, man. A computer right, right. would also stay on. So yeah, you, you talked about NBC Universal. You actually have a very, very interesting um, professional career. So why don't you give us uh, the short version of that? Yeah, sure. So um worked for IBM for 
the bulk of my career in, in a lot of different roles across, you know, process transformation. I worked in uh, sales transformation. I worked in um, what we used to call social business. So before it was digital transformation, we called it social business. Um, and, uh, you know, had some client facing roles, worked closely with IBM research in a technical you know, pre-sales role. I did some consulting for IBM, uh, market intelligence. Um, a lot of that was all around the social analytics space. So really understanding people's behavior, whether they're consumers or employees, et cetera, um, across different ecosystems. Um, did a lot of crowdsourcing and collective intelligence kinds of projects, either exploring different methodologies to uh, improve collaborative decision making or uh, just to get people more involved with, um, you know, either innovation or, you know, uh, project management, product management, things like that. And then when I went to NBC, um, I focused on strategy and operations. So basically executive staff to the global CIO, uh, looking at uh, how to build automation strategy, um, how to get people more engaged across silos because that organization was siloed by design across, you know, film, news, TV, et cetera. Um, and really trying to, uh, again, there was a collective intelligence kind of, kind of theme there, but also just general sort of knowledge sharing and, uh, talent mobility. Those are the kinds of things that I was interested in. Um, and then also we did some work around, um, software engineering. So, um, you know, media companies these days, uh, as much as anybody are technology companies. And so, um, how do you beef up that engineering uh, and product management, you know, muscle, um, whether it's, you know, products or cloud or cybersecurity? I mean, how how are you positioning yourself for the future and sort of controlling your own destiny as you develop uh, a lot of, um, you know, software applications and services and, and things like that? So um, so I really got into a, a role where I was doing a lot of talent acquisition um, and thinking about internal mobility, upskilling, reskilling, all the things that are part of the sort of uh, future of work uh, kinds of trajectories that we need to think about. Um, so, yeah, so that led me to start this uh, Cognitive Path uh, company, which is basically an advisory to, uh, you know, whether you're focused on talent or you're trying to just leverage automation, AI and analytics uh, to improve your operations and stay competitive. Um you know, these are things that are going to affect every industry um, and you're going to fall uh, behind and you're going to be uh, in, in jeopardy. Um, the business itself will be in jeopardy if you don't embrace uh, some of these technologies. I'm a little curious as to, I mean, you have exposure to so many different types of technologies in your career. Yeah. Lots of different people, lots of different uh, ideas that went through it. Why is it that now that you're kind of starting this new venture, what was it about this, this convergence of technology and talents and these opportunities, why was this like the one thing you wanted to center on? Well, I just, I saw a lot of these trends. Um, I, I think about not just trends, but the intersection of trends. So yeah. that's where I put my sort of amateur futurist, you know, hat on and I've taken some strategic foresight, you know, programs through uh, the future school and um, just been fascinated with how people sort of plan for the future and think, uh, take like a systems thinking approach. Um, and so when I started thinking about, um, you know, I, I've had many roles where I've been a sort of a, a square peg in, in a round hole. And so I started thinking about that. I started thinking about, you know, I've had, you know, success in my career, but there's a lot of people who haven't, they just, they're not aware of their own potential. Um, and no one has shown them the path forward. So, um, the other thing is at my, 
the last role I had at IBM was really leading this entrepreneurial uh, community where some of the, everyone was trying to come up with um, novel solutions using the IBM Watson uh, cognitive mm -hmm. services. Um, so how do you combine some of those APIs uh, in unique ways to create, you know, a novel solution. And so some of those were focused on in, in the talent space. And I just thought, what could be more impactful than having technology help people, you know, find more meaning or become more self-aware of their own, um, you know, capabilities, whether that's, you know, personalized learning paths or it's, um, you know, just understanding how to be a better, you know, colleague and, and teammate or leader, um, technology can help you do that. And then you get into, you know, some of the automation uh, capabilities as you move up that automation maturity scale, if you will, from robotic process automation, RPA up to, you know, intelligent and even cognitive automation. You're talking about machines doing things that people would have never thought, you know, a machine could could do. And now you're talking about mm -hmm. um, it's not just routine, you know, mundane tasks that affect um, perhaps, you know, lower, um, you know, only certain roles that you would expect where they're doing repetitive things. Now it's affecting, you know, knowledge work. Now it's affecting, you know, white collar, um, you know, jobs. And so I just think the combination of, um, of that technology with, with talent, letting people do the things that they're really good at and let the machines do the things that they're really good at. And you merge those things together and you have, um, this ideal, you know, symbiosis of um, where the term augmented intelligence really comes um, to provide a lot of value, right? Um, you're 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 not taking you're not removing humans from the loop, right? You're still, you know, involved in in final decision making and, and things like that. Um, now, the machines may still learn, you know, as they go and, and take on more and more you know, tasks. Uh, but I think there's, um, there's always going to be a need for, for humans, you know, in the loop. Yeah. I sense that a lot in terms of like when people say, Hey, the machines aren't going to take your jobs. It's going to be fine. Like you're going to be okay. There's always that little asterisk as like for now, like right. all the jobs we can think of that we're doing right now, they're not going to take tomorrow. Right. Eventually they will, but yeah, <laughs> hopefully it's on us to kind of build those new jobs and, and the new experiences that will continually push us farther ahead. I feel like that's one way where we are not keeping up pace in terms of like, we're just still digging in our feet and saying, no, humans, we're, we're going to keep doing this thing and yeah. not going to upscale ourselves as we go through. Yeah. I also think that, um, so there's, there's technology that affects talent, you know, affects us individually. And then there's um, technology that affects, you know, teams and, and organizations. And so, I think a lot of it just, and I saw a lot of this at, at IBM. So it's interesting that um, it's only really now becoming more mainstream, but things like, you know, social network uh, analysis, people analytics, you know, these aspects of, you know, future of talent, future of, of HR. I mean, I saw these in the mid 2000s, it was probably 2007, eight, nine, you know, at the beginning of um, what we used to call social, social business, um, where people were really starting to embrace and digitize and become more social and, and digital uh, savvy, I guess. And, um, but just understanding, you know, relationship graphs and understanding how to best, um, you know, where, where are my experts, where are the skills, you know, those kinds of things were all precursors to, um, you know, talent mobility uh, today, but also, um, you know, improved 
uh, methods of of just disseminating, you know, knowledge. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of this is finally, you know, getting the recognition it deserves because it's it's providing all this insight um, that you just didn't have before. Uh, Bob, I want to talk about a question that's always been bothering me lately. I feel like when we're looking for talent, and we always, I th- feel like we always put it in that term, like I'm looking for somebody who's outside my team, somebody I don't know yet. Yeah. So it's almost always in that terminology. And we're usually always looking for like a fully formed individual, like somebody who's going to come, they got to have these skills, they yeah. got to have these things that are there. And that makes it one hard to find people because there, there aren't a ton of fully formed, high functioning individuals that have all the skills that you need out there. So there's that tension there. And then there's also like looking around at the people that you know, or people you're working with, you're like, man, no, 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 no. There's like this idea in her head that I, I don't know how to upskill those people or reskill or whatever term you would prefer. So walk us through the tension, what you're seeing from your side. Yeah, this is a really important one. Um, so one of the things uh, that I actually experimented with at, at IBM, and, and again, it's now becoming, um, you know, there's like unicorns in this space, but within um, HR tech, there's um, this concept of a talent marketplace, right? And so, so this is, you know, just like you have uh, gig marketplaces, you know, externally, you know, Upwork, Fiverr, you know, Toptal and places like that. Um, you've got internal, you know, talent marketplaces as well. Now, if they are, you know, uh, a lot of them do have the capability where you could use it for an entire talent ecosystem, meaning you could go out and, and start to, um, look at a broader talent, you know, global talent pool at this point, right? Where you could look across your, um, your internal organization, maybe, you know, partner organizations, but you could also look for, you know, independent, you know, contractors or, or consultants and things like that. Um, the only way you can really make sense of that is if you know, um, you know, the skills are all tied into that. And so, so I think we're, this is the space is evolving is you've got to um, once you have all that information and those things are relatively mature and you can see both internally and externally, you can start to make decisions about, um, well, I've got a, a six month contract. It's going to, or a six month project or product. Um, and you, it's mm-hmm. going to, um, I'm going to need this, this set of skills for the, for the duration. I'm going to need this set of skills for, you know, half that, or, you know, and this is how, you know, I see this, the, the strategy, you know, sort of evolving and I've got to evolve my talent, you know, along with that. So we don't miss a beat. Um, I think t- tools like that or platforms like that will get more intelligent to allow you to make, um, some contextual, you know, decisions about who, who you hire when. Um, but there's a big push, you know, if you think about the cost of hiring an external person versus, um, uh, finding talent internally who has the potential to succeed in the, the roles of the of the future, right? So this is a big thing for for automation as well. I've, I'm, I'm going to automate a specific set of tasks or processes. These are the roles that typically you know uh, perform that function. Um, do these people have the potential once I automate that to be moved into another area? So just from a cost standpoint alone. Um, you would save a lot of money if you found resources internally. Now that's easier said than done, right? You've got to under- overcome some yeah. cultural, you know, barriers where where managers or leaders might be hoarding, you know, talent, or they're incentivized um, in the in the short term. They've got goals to meet. They can't just let somebody go. Um, you can't just let your admin go into a you know coding you know boot camp for six months. Um, you've got 
you know, deliverables, right? And so you've got to strike that balance between organizational, you know, goals and objectives and what's in the best interest of the company, uh, along with the, you know, the goals and objectives of, uh, you know, at a, at a team level. So some, at some point those things need to, yeah. uh, to get in sync if they're not already, which they, of course they should be, but, um, but there's a lot of people who are underutilized, right. In addition to people who are yeah. unemployed, there's, there's underemployed and there's people who are not aware of their own potential. So how do you tap into to that, whether it's through, you know, assessments or, or other means you've got to, um, you've got to see what's in your toolkit already. Right. And you've got some people who, um, maybe they're, they're, we're going to leave because they're not happy or because they're, they're bored or, you know, whatever it is. But that's why some of the, these, you know, people analytics and social listening and all these things, you can sort of take a pulse, um, an ongoing pulse of the organization to understand um, how to move the, the pieces around. Cause this is, this is, you know, chess, not checkers, right? Like there's, it's really yeah, yeah. complicated and you've got to think multiple moves ahead. Yeah. And it is extremely complicated. I mean, I'm thinking about, I love, in a lot of ways, the, the push towards more like project-based teams where it's more yeah. like, hey, this is the task we had to get done. Let me put together a team for six months, two years, three years and put all those people yeah. together and let's get going. But that does require, I, I can't wait for somebody to, to be developed into that role. Yeah. Like we got to go, we got to hit the ground running, we got to move. So if I have a smaller company, like I need all those people to be ready to go. So yeah, trying to figure out how do you give people space to do that learning? to say, hey, I need to take a break from these big yeah. projects to take six months and do some kind of a, a reskill or a boot camp like that. That's tough. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think once you, when you start thinking about, so there's some folks like John, John uh, Boudreaux who have talked about work, you know, work without jobs. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a provocative sort of thought, right. But, but ultimately um, if you had, everybody, if you could do sort of just in time, you know, staffing and you had the right visibility, um, to people's uh, availability, their, their skills, uh, their work styles, those kinds of things, um, you could potentially dynamically, you know, compose and, and decompose and then recompose, you know, teams like that. I mean, David, uh, Dave Gray talked about, um, I think he called it podular, design, right? Um, he called mm. it, that was like a decade ago, I feel like, um, where he talked about where people could just, you know, move from pod to pod and, and just get stuff done. Right. And so, but yeah. how do you change the incentive structures? How do you change? It breaks, it completely breaks a traditional corporate hierarchy, of course. Right. So, um, so who's, who's got the appetite for that, uh, especially at a larger organization, right? And to be able to tell people like, look, you're, you're responsible for delivering results, being on a project or a team for this amount of time, but we're also going to expect you to take, you know, 20% of your year or 10% of your year or of this time to not be working on projects and go out there and learn something new and to, to figure out something else and to be able to build that into. Yeah. And all right, uh, let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about, I sense this kind of rise perhaps in when it comes to like personality tests, motivational tests, assessments that come out there. I feel like we kind of hit a peak back with like the disc and the Myers-Briggs stuff that came out, I don't know, in the, in the 90s type thing that was there. And then everything kind of plateaued for a while. And now you see a little bit of a resurgence of these tools now that we're realizing, okay, maybe we can go a little deeper, or maybe we can be a little more useful to those. What are you seeing from your angle from those types of assessments? 
So uh, I've taken a lot of these myself uh, over the last six months uh, <laughs> as I've been, uh, you know, in my own you know job search. And so I felt it was, um, you know, it was a perfect opportunity to sort of re as I'm recalibrating, you know, the next step in, in my career um, to, to really just gain a little bit more self-awareness. Right. I, I don't I haven't always had uh, consistent feedback about, you know, my my performance. I mean, I know. You know, people really like, you know, working with me and, and I know the things that I've been exposed to. But without without that ongoing feedback, um, you know, it's hard to continually, you know, course correct and know that you're you're growing and, and improving. Right. So um, so I've taken a lot of these different assessments. Some of them were, were disc assessments, but I've taken um, a lot. So Ray Dalio's, you know, principles, you I, I took that one. I took one from Plum. Plum.io was really interesting because it broke down. Um, I forget how long it took me to take that assessment, but there were like 10, at least 10, 12 different categories of things that I hadn't even really thought about. Like if I just, if you just told me, if you just mm. sat me in a room and say design an assessment, I, like, I don't think I would have come up with the, the laundry list of, of categories, but it's everything from, you know, how you deal with conflict, um, how you deal with, um, you know, being a mentor or a coach, uh, your work style, you know, a little bit of personality, um, are you, uh, do you like working alone versus in, in a team? Where do you, where do you thrive? Where, do, so I think these things are, are incredibly important. Some of them will, um, and they're all very constructive in their criticism, um, not criticism, but, you know, here's some things that you can work on. Here are some things you should look for, or even the type of organization that you should look for. Yeah. Um, cause even when you, even when you say, Oh, I want to go work for a startup. Well, what, what do you mean? Like, do you, do you want to go work with three people uh, before you even have a, a website or a mission statement? Do you want to work for somebody that's already got through, uh, you know, their series, um, uh, you know, see, you know, funding round or, you know, because because it could be completely, you know, chaotic and you could wear, you know, 10 hats versus, you know, a clarity of mission, um, earning a salary instead of sweat equity. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, differences in, in where you want to work. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the assessments are uh, incredibly valuable to understand how to, um, you know, where to put your chips, right, in, in terms of your, your job search, but also uh, just where should I where should I prioritize my learn my own learning and my own growth? Um, and then some of it's around um, from a talent acquisition perspective, because that's um, where I'm focused on right, right now. Um, how do you mitigate bias in, you know, the hiring process? How do you improve, you know, the, the candidate experience? How do you get quality over quantity in your in your pipeline? Of candidates, and so I think um, these assessments can be incredibly powerful. Now, I don't have necessarily a, a favorite or one that you know checks all the boxes, um, but uh, that's part of. Uh, I mean, I'm in the middle of drafting a, a blog post about you know all the ones that I've um, taken and how valuable I, I think they are. Um, in, you know, in in aggregate, I mean, I could I'll probably cherry pick you know what I liked about um, about each one, and so there's not one that I would, um, that I would say, okay, let's, we're going to use this, this one and only this one. But I do think, um, it's valuable to gather that information up front. I mean, it, you could really almost eliminate your whole initial screening process. Um, if you do, if you ask the right questions and you have a, you know, technology that can actually interpret 
those answers. So not just how you answered it, but what what can I infer from what you from the content of your responses about how you work? So that I think is valuable because you're you're almost doing two assessments at once uh, and providing feedback both to the hiring team mm-hmm. as well as um, as to you personally. So even going through it is a learning experience for the candidate. Um, so I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah, yeah. I also like the maturity of a lot of these assessments that have come out. Like you said, like they have grown and there's much more insights you can get from yeah. them than you did before. And so we're kind of experiencing that. I think the whole nature of moving into a digital workplace also changes things because it used to be, hey, let, let's all do this test. We'll spend a day yeah. debriefing it. That was really cool, insightful. Oh, Bob likes these types of things. All right, that's cool. And then maybe one day that like triggers something in mind. Oh, maybe that's why he's like that. But that's yeah. pretty much the extent of it. But now when in these digital platforms, it's like, if I know, okay, I'm working on a team with Bob that immediately I can pull up his profile, which almost becomes more like a user manual. Like this is how you should interact with Bob. These are the types of messages that he likes. These is, this is like his right. preferred communication style. This is his preferred leadership style. And you could even like customize a lot of that. Like as I learn new things about you and that stuff typically takes, you know, a, a year or two years to, to learn about somebody and to be able yeah. to jump into those things. And not not assume that that's always going to be like that, but to have that kind of thing is great. But I, one point you brought up too is the the interoperability of all these tests. Like, it, it's hard to get everybody to use the same one, and that'll never happen because each yeah. one has its own strengths and weaknesses. But it would be nice, even like before I'm going to hire somebody, like I can see their profile as it comes through and know ahead of time if they're going to work on my team, or just some kind of universal standards around that. So I don't think that's going to happen, but it, there's definitely merit in that idea too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's hard because you yeah. gotta, you're trying to put the right puzzle piece into, uh, the, the bigger, uh-huh. uh, puzzle. Right. And so it's not, um, you're not just hiring a warm body. You're not just hiring that person in isolation. They're going to be working as part of a team. Um, the team chemistry needs to work. So it needs to be a, a I like the phrase culture ad, not culture fit. Um, and so how does this person fit? And I think, Ray Dalio's, I was particularly interested in, yeah, in Ray yeah. Dalio's because I've, you know, read his his book Principles and and how he thinks about uh, and codifies a lot of what he learns um, into those uh, those kinds of structured um, diagnostics. So it's it's some really interesting work going on there. Very cool. Well, Bob, we have reached the end of our time. It's been a fascinating discussion. I've really enjoyed thinking about it. I feel like you're someone who's living in in the present and it got a foot in the future and figuring out how all this works as people get through it. Where can people go if they want to learn more about what you're doing? Uh, just hit me up on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest or Bob at cognitivepath.io. Um, if you want to talk about what cognitive path can do. Um, and um, yeah, I'm on all the socials as well. You can find me on clubhouse, Twitter, uh, wherever Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we yeah, met on exactly. Clubhouse, right? That was kind of the, yeah. the first thing that came through. Well, cool. Yeah, and you talk about LinkedIn. Just as we close off, it's like, man, I feel like I wish they were a little bit more ambitious because they're like they could be a, a big part in, in leading the way in some of these talent conversations and, and things. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why they missed the ball. <laughs> I mean, it was it was theirs to just own. I mean, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. <laughs> but left opportunity for a lot of other people. There's there's some amazing amazing yeah. startups doing some some excellent valuable work, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that market starts to consolidate over the next uh, couple of years. 
Yeah, that'll be exciting. Well, cool, Bob. Thanks for being on the show. We look forward to continuing to, to listen from you in different parts and bring you in for new conversations. Excellent. Thanks so much, Neil. This is great. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you find it. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.